Chapter 36 Demotion The Troes looked at the deeds to hidden giant piles of silver mournfully. Gwen couldn't tell if it was because he was paying them a severance, or if it was because he simply hadn't hidden it for them to steal. He was kneeling in their own quarters, hair brushing the dirt ceiling, knees hurting on the floor. They crowded around him, all the ones working that day. He saw the two that had befriended August and smiled weakly at them. He had become close to all of these Tros, in his own way. They didn't tell him their names, they were very secretive about names, but they had tried to anticipate his needs and they had cared for him, and they were amazing cooks. They had done far more than tolerate him, like the rest of the court. Once he'd mentioned in passing to another fay that he liked stews. A week later the Tros added a huge complement of stews and curries and casseroles alongside everything else they made for him. My friends, Gwen said. I wish it could be stolen, but I do not have the time. This is several centuries worth of silver that I have amassed over the years. High quality. I do not care what you do with it, only that it is yours, for your service. For I do not know that I will be here much longer, and I do not think any future royalty will keep you on as staff, which is their loss, just as you have been my gain. One of the Troes placed a spindly hand on Gwen's wrist, looking at him, forehead nodded more than it usually was. A few signed to each other. They had two languages. The one they signed to Gwen they used rarely. The one they signed to each other was unintelligible, and, Gwen suspected, changed often so that no one could interpret it. They used that more often. They were secretive, introverted folk. But for their love of trohinks, their sociable dances, they would likely not have much to do with other fae species at all. As it was, Gwen couldn't understand their language. He had tried many times. It had been a week since August was gone, a week of the court situation rapidly dissolving in front of him. At first he'd tried being more present, but something was wrong. Creel didn't want him there, and for once seemed to be happy to indicate to others that he had no place in her court. It had led to a confrontation that had changed everything. His idea of keeping August longer, his notions of his own safety within the court, everything. She'd followed him into the meat room and closed the door behind her, locking it, and when she turned back to him, he noticed there was a curl out of place on the top of her head. Not deliberately disheveled, but actually out of place. She looked as lovely as ever, so he doubted anyone else would have noticed. But Creel, for the first time in living memory, had something out of place and wasn't rushing to fix or alter her appearance and make everything flawless once more. Are you here to threaten me again? Gwen asked calmly. To throw a motion at me and watch me balk? You have so much arrogance, Creel said, in a voice quite unlike her own usual rich, nuanced way of speaking. Your center of triumph gave it to you, but you were always brash and always quick to disobey. I don't recall that was true throughout much of my childhood, Gwen said, bristling at the notion. No? Creel raised an arch eyebrow. You know what you are. Do you think you're as obedient as any child with the right alignment would have been? Gwen stiffened. His eyes flickered around the room. There was no one there, not even the Troes. His heart was pounding. When he looked back to Creel, there was a cruel half-smile on her lips, and she carefully tucked the waylaid curl back into her hair. 
You've found ways, she said, walking over and joining him. Gwyn resisted the urge to rear back from her. His life with Creel had been petty torture after petty torture. Needles left in his clothing, slivers of metal waiting in his boots, venomous spiders in his bed, snakes curled around the poles of his curtains. And sometimes it had been outright torture, as she flung positive emotion after positive emotion at him, reminding him of all that he would never have, did not deserve. Feel like reminiscing? All those times he ran away from Ephnician, Creel said, pouting. He was torturing me. It was your due, Creel said, smiling beautifully. Gwen wondered what August would say to that. It had no purpose. It was torture. I was fodder for his center because I was safer than the hounds and the horses. Yes, darling. They make noise when you torture them. Gwen ground his teeth together, stood up abruptly. He'd always been proud of himself for not making any noise, for learning how to stay quiet when Ethnician tortured him. It never occurred to him that it might have been a discussion point between Creel and Ethnician, that it was a convenience. Creel stood up smoothly, placed a gentle hand on his arm. Gwen's skin turned to goose flesh. She noticed, rubbed it lovingly. Sit, she said softly. Sit and talk with your mother. Don't give me a reason to make your life more miserable than I have to. And how are you going to do that, now that your tools are dead? Gwen said, just as quietly. Now that Lead is dead, fallen on a sword like someone green to the field, a humiliating accident. Now that Ephnician lies in pieces in the caves of Argoth, eaten by gods only know what. You always liked working through others, didn't you? Through your poisons and venomous animals and little knives and, of course, other people. She stared at him with a blue, disarming gaze. It hid a combination of shock, cruelty, delight. This was a game to her. It had always been a game. He stepped away, and she let him, but he found himself unable to leave, paralyzed in her presence. It had been decades of having her rule and ruin his life. She wasn't predictable like Lead. She didn't only care about ruthlessness or discipline. Her cruelty was freewheeling and didn't have a purpose. Unlike Ephnician, she had been at the estate, and now the court, almost every day. He could hardly escape her. You killed your own mother and father when you were a child, Gwen said, meeting her gaze with a steadiness that was a lie both of them were familiar with. Lead is dead. Ephnician, are you so determined to eliminate the last family you have left? You are not family. I came from your womb. I bear your hair, your skin, more even. I am clearly your child. Creel raised an arm to strike him. Gwen flinched hard even as she restrained herself. She laughed at him. Gwen resisted the urge to smash the table they were standing by in two. He could face down monstrous fay on a battlefield, unflinching, but she could raise a hand to him, and he was terrified. You're not mine, Creel said. You may have stolen from our family legacy. You may have parasitized our reputation— you may have even exploited and ruined the things about our appearance that make us, not you, beautiful. But you are not, you have never been mine. If you felt a short, sharp shock when you came into the world, my darling, it was my hands around your throat while your father tried to pull me off you. Imagine, if you will, my dear, reprehensible thing. Imagine the first time you came back to me after we sent you away to play with Ephnician. Oh, you were only twelve or thirteen? What a lovely idea that was. And if Nissian had you for hours. 
I told him to use knives. He liked them so, and he didn't think he'd be allowed. So precious. And I heard the distant echo of your screams like a faint, familiar melody all throughout my day. A time when they stopped because he gagged you, perhaps? Or your voice gave out? He is, was, so crude, but still effective. And do you remember? Oh, my creature, imagine it. You came home hours later, hours after Ephnician. You were broken and cut and bleeding, and so, so ruined. Then you stumbled into the house, and there I was waiting for you, breathless, actually. And you stared at me as though I would... What? Tell you that Ephnician had crossed the line, gone too far? Do you remember what I did? Gwen swallowed, sickened. He did remember. He remembered that day very clearly. He became inured to torture over time. He wasn't born used to it. And that day had humiliated him. He'd screamed and begged and cried and whimpered, been all the things he'd sworn to never be again. He'd been broken under Ephnician's knives, Ephnician had laughed at him, and the worst part, dragging himself home and expecting... You smiled at me, Gwen said, his voice rough and rusty. I didn't smile at you. I smiled at what he had made of you. And do you remember what I said? That you must have him over again to play with me soon, because it was obvious I'd been an... Entertaining host. Oh, you do remember. <laughs> I'm so pleased. Darling, truly, I am. And now here we are, and you are a pathetic, dismal king of a joyless, soulless court. And my beautiful Ephnician is dead. And if you will ruin my life, then, creature, I shall destroy yours. For I have always enjoyed seeing you ruined and wasted and made into the actual monstrosity that you are. Do you remember what I said to you after you killed that dear boy of yours? Oh, what was his name? Gwen's eyes snapped up. He turned cold. He didn't remember. He couldn't remember much after... what had happened. It was all a blur. No, no, that will never do, Creel said, grinning a shark's grin at his confusion. I believe I... I will remove you from this court, Gwen said, voice trembling. I will remove you from this court, and I will bear the consequences. I will see your status revoked to Underve, and you will, you will have to wait until I am demoted and a new king or queen raised up and ingratiate yourself to them. And even if it only lasts a few weeks, mother, everyone will know that you were demoted by that son you supposedly supported. I swear, I swear it. Creel's eyes widened at his words, and Gwen was grinding his teeth together, thought he might be shaking. Are you still so ruined by it all? Creel whispered after a moment, delighted. Ah, then, give it a few days, creature. You'll see what I have waiting for you. Gwen opened his mouth to say that he had no time for empty threats, but suddenly felt the truth of it, that he had only a few days, that her center was gone. This was nothing like their conversations in the past. He knew he was in trouble. So he'd released August. He'd stood in that corridor by the portal, wondering if August was lingering nearby, hoping, for a ridiculous amount of time, 
before forcing himself to his senses, making himself walk away. Two days later, he received a piece of paper in Ash's indelicate, scribbly hand, simply saying, We have him. He's safe. You've no claim to him now. He wants nothing to do with you. Gwen thought Ash might be lying to him, but then thought it might as well be true. And all that mattered was that August was safe, and he'd prepared for this, hadn't he? He'd prepared for this to be true. But it hurt. Still, he attempted to close his mind to that, though it was as easy as trying to shove a door closed on an overfull wardrobe. He gathered the silver together for the troughs. Now he knelt before them, not knowing exactly how to convey how much they'd done for him, how much they meant to him. Please start making arrangements for yourselves to not be living here anymore, or not be on call here anymore, Gwen said, his voice hushed, feeling like the walls were listening in on him. The troughs watched him, wide-eyed. Some were still signing frantically to each other. You know how it is. The Seely Fay have always preferred more typically comely housekeep, and you know your appearance has never bothered me, but it may bother any successor that comes in my stead. You may not be able to keep any employment here. The silver should be enough to... I'm not sure what you do with it, but I think it should be enough to see it well paid for at least a few decades. If I had it my way, it would be a lifelong severance, but I didn't stop placing an importance on acquiring silver until I met you. <laughs> he laughed. The tro with the hand on his arm withdrew it and signed quickly. Where are you going? We would come with you. I don't know, Gwen said, shaking his head. I suspect nowhere good for me, and therefore nowhere safe for you. I would keep you all in my employ if I could. Believe me. Three thousand years, and I've never known any fame more helpful, and you are poorly served by the Seely alignment. Believe me. We are what we are, no better or worse. Something is coming? Something is coming. They looked at each other for a long time, and Gwen nodded after a while, shifted in order to teleport, only to be stopped by the tro placing a hand back on his arm. Be safe. I will, Gwen said, trying to keep his voice as light as possible. But the tro watching him and several of the others knew it was a lie. He teleported away, not wanting to explain any further, feeling as though he owed them a great deal more than what he'd given them. The troughs started disappearing from the kingdom one by one. Gwen noticed that the food they were leaving out in the kitchens was designed not to spoil. They were already preparing him for them not being there any longer. So he chewed on strips of dried jerky and hardtack, and hardly minded, because it reminded him of rations on camps where there were no fay with culinary magic to turn inedibles into food, and food into delicious meals. He'd eaten plenty of rations over his time. It was late one afternoon that he was heading towards the library to shift his most valued scrolls out into other regions that he felt had come over him. A strange draining of power. He staggered slightly, threw a hand out towards the wall, caught himself. The draining continued, and he gasped. But just like that, it halted, and he caught his breath, holding his other hand to his chest. By the gods, what was that? Then he realized he couldn't feel it anymore. The authority of being king— the knowledge that with words alone he could take Fay prisoner, release them, could raise or demote the status of any Fay he wished. He slapped his hands against the wall and tried to change the permissions, tried to shift the palatial rooms, and... nothing. But he wasn't not king, either. King's hold, Gwyn whispered, eyes going wide. King's hold, something he'd only read about in books. 
when an inner court could freeze a king or queen's power when they decided they'd had enough. It could only be done by an inner court, and it wasn't a demotion, per se, so much as a way of letting royalty know that something was very wrong and needed drastic measures to fix. It was something that August's inner court should have done to August, except his inner court fractured and fell apart until only Ash was left, and Ash wouldn't have known about King's Hold and didn't have the skill to do it anyway. Gwen was experiencing something he'd only read about. He was sure that was what it was. With Undine away from the court, it must have been initiated by Albion. Albion, who had been in Creel's pocket for some time now. Gwen felt his spine turn to ice. He leaned back against the wall for several seconds, then started running toward the Seely Court proper. They'd done this without telling him? Did they know about August? Ash was instructed to keep it a secret for his own good. Theirs was a fragile court with hardly anyone in it. They needed to be careful. They risked the possibility of civil war, having August back in their clutches and not imprisoned. Did Albion know? It was what Gwen was waiting for. Soon Faye would know. No one would tolerate it. Footsteps heading towards him, pelting towards him. It was so alien to have anyone in the inner circles of his palatial rooms. Anyone aside from August. He froze. He waited. But now his inner court could enter. His permissions no longer held any significance. They had temporary authority over the Seely Kingdom. Albion turned a corner, looked livid, eyes wide and cheeks blotched with red, pupils wide with fear. Gwen stared in shock as Albion pushed him up hard against the wall, a forearm heavy about his neck, choking him. Did you... Release the water horse? Did you... I can't believe I'm saying this. Albion's eyes were a storm. He smelled like a cyclone. Did you lie to us? To all of us? About being unsteely? He blanked. A rushing sound in his head. Cold wet thumping in his chest. Heart turned into a suffocating fish flapping about on land. Later he would remember that his first thought was, August, why would you? His second thought was, Griel. Albion shook him hard, slammed his head against the wall with so much force that Gwen was snapped into action, snarled, pushed him away, or tried to. It was easy to forget that Albion was a demigod of the Atlantic, able to put the force of an ocean behind anything he did. He commanded an underwater nation with more than just words and philosophy. Gwen could smell ozone, almost hear waves thrashing in the distance. He laughed softly. Albion stared at him as though he were mad. And if I told you she was lying? Gwen said. She said she can prove it, Albion said, voice shaking. She said there is proof, and she has told everyone. You have a busy court waiting for you. I am to take you to it. Then take me to it, Gwen said. The terror was so huge it hadn't crashed down upon him yet. He was still staring at the tsunami of it bearing down upon him, knowing that even if he turned and ran, he could never outrun it. He knew this was the end. He felt oddly peaceful, but that was only because it hadn't yet hit and he knew that too. Do not make a mockery of my honor and reputation. Have you been lying to me? Albion hissed. Sea foam flew from the corners of his mouth. More heavy footsteps. Albion and Gwen turned at the same time. Two of Creel's soldiers, previously lead soldiers and members of his independent military, rushed into the corridor, looking horrified. The water horse is gone! Ah, well, Gwen thought. Albion looked at him with growing dread on his face. Did you do this on purpose? No, Gwen said. I swear to you, I had no intention of releasing him when I first... You released him? 
Quinn laughed. He thought that would be the assumption. He was still laughing when Albion began dragging him down the corridors towards the Seely Court proper. No teleportation here, but the humiliation of actually being dragged by the collar of his shirt. He realized that Albion had thought he'd killed him. Of course, because he'd established the rumor that he'd been torturing him regularly. He vaguely picked up what the soldiers were saying to Albion, what Albion was saying to them. He interjected. Don't bother. He's in the custody of the Unseely Court. I didn't release him just so he could be taken prisoner again. Albion took several steps that were larger than the curt, small steps he normally took, but it was enough that he knew Albion was upset. Normally Gwen would offer some consolation, but he had nothing. Creel had proof, he'd said. Proof. Her center was gone. All this time, the only reason she'd kept the secret, the only reason he'd been kept alive, was because of her center of appearance and how much she'd attached it to the family reputation. They'd had no reason to believe it would ever change. It had been constant. She was supposed to be one of those fae whose center stayed constant until the end. He hadn't considered how Afnissian's death might impact her, because he'd had other things on his mind at the time, assuming she would think it an accident. What a blow it must have been, mother, for the most hated thing in your life to have supposedly killed the one you loved most. He couldn't seem to stop laughing, though it turned to gasps. Albion's steps lengthened again, sped them towards the court. Gwen's heart was fluttering, mothwings frantic, and he almost pulled back, felt his light telling him to run, run, run. It was closer now, the tsunami of it. There was panic in the pulsing of his body, and in the way his hands and feet had gone cold. He could hardly feel his face. Albion's hand was fisted into his shirt, but Gwen was keeping up with him, at least had his feet under him, and was walking towards his fate. No armor. No sword. Only soft leather boots and the soft pants he always wore and a linen shirt. He looked like a common fey peasant. He had never dressed the part of king unless absolutely required. He'd only worn the crown once, at his coronation. He knew better than anyone, except perhaps Creel, how much he'd never belonged. Never wanted the role. Eschewed it in every small way he could. Send a missive to the unseated court once this is done. Albion said crisply to the soldiers following alongside. Check to see if the Akushka is truly there. Yes, Lord, one responded. The throne room was getting closer. Closer. Gwen knew there was a clamor of people. They were thirty steps away, and he could sense the largest audience that had maybe gathered to the court since the actual defeat of August and the subsequent celebration, and Gwen twisted in Albion's grip and placed both his hands on his wrist, squeezing at ropey tendons and muscles. It didn't stop Albion pulling him forward. It didn't even stop Gwen from walking alongside him. But a tension between them now. A straining. Albion turned stormy eyes towards him. If you are not about to tell me that all of this is a joke and a bad one, then you will unhand my wrist. Gwen had words piling upon the tip of his tongue. He wanted to apologize. He wanted to say that he'd always respected Albion. That he had lied, but not in the way that Albion possibly thought he'd lied. His hand slid off Albion's wrists. The Sea King's jaw tightened, his nostrils flared. Gwen had a moment to think of August. His face, the curve of his lips on a half-smile, green eyes, the thick eyelashes he loved that were so dark and shone in certain lights, the oil slick of his cum that tasted like lake and life in his mouth, that at least he'd released him, gotten him out, because this, he knew, he could tell would be far worse than any display that he'd ever put August through. Because this... You've paid out the troves, 
You've squared away most of your debts. You've released Argus. You're ready. You're ready for this. You wanted this. But he didn't. Not like this. He wanted death on his own terms. Not whatever this would become. Fear was turning his blood to acid. Bile crawled up the back of his throat. The fist in his shirt felt like his father's. It occurred to him that Albion was very much like his father. Not so much a brute, but ruthless, cold, stern. Gwen closed his eyes. He couldn't seem to catch his breath. But he had to face this. He couldn't face it like a king, because he'd never truly been a king, no matter what they'd voted and done to his status. And he couldn't face it like a war general, because this wasn't a war. But he could face it like a soldier, one who had betrayed his people and his kingdom, knowing what fate waited for him on the other side of those doors. He only wished Creel wouldn't be there. Only that it would be so much harder to become unfeeling, truly cold, in her presence. He didn't want to shame himself. She saw through him, always. Still, several deep breaths, he straightened his posture. His face blanked into a familiar, cold mask. He faced the double doors leading into the back of the throne room, and wondered what it meant that the Seely way would be to face this nobly, but his instincts were shouting at him about self-preservation and teleportation and running away. Too late to make a decision, the doors were thrown open. The court, over one thousand court and outer court fay easily, parted to let them through. Creel was waiting up on the dais by the throne by many more of her own military entourage, borrowed from Lead, wearing her colors, blue and cream, only a shade off of the family colors of blue and gold. He didn't quail as she looked at him. He saw the damp handkerchief in her hand and the tears that tracked her face, and realized with mounting horror that she must have spun one of her very convincing stories. His eyes scattered out over the giant crowd underneath the huge vaulted ceilings, the hushed voices, the stairs. This was it, then. He was in her plan now. This had been it all along. He could never have foreseen this, he realized. He'd never imagined a day where she might betray reputation and family and her center of appearance. Decades of torture and the insistence that he maintain his secret hadn't prepared him for this. Not the gem soldered to his ribs when he was a child, nor the arrow that his father demanded he shoot into Moffat's heart. All of it had been to maintain the secret. He took the steps up to the throne without stumbling, and he was grateful. His vision was clearer than ever, his hearing hypersensitive. He was becoming so attuned to his environment that it grated against his skin. Every whisper was a touch. All the eyes that fell against him felt like an army he had to square off against. He felt naked without his sword, his armor. There were very few people that could amass a crowd so quickly. What had Creel promised them? An unveiling of an event or a ball? The reopening of the temporary seasonal courts? But then, no, many of them weren't in formal wear which meant they had made haste and not expected to be here to socialize. So then how? At the far left he saw Undine, a puddle of water on the ground beneath her, still wearing the sheer gown that she wore underwater, instead of the clothing she usually changed into above ground. Why was she down there, not up on the dais? She was in her court. She... But then she was like Gwen. She'd never been particularly suited to high status, to responsibility. He'd chosen her for her reputation as diviner, knowing that every time she divined for him, every time he withstood the fear and dread of it, and she never questioned his false alignment, 
She was another part of the lie that his family had told him he must maintain. Ondine had been part of a strategy, and he hated himself for it. She deserved better. She would hate knowing all that divination had not revealed the truth of him. They made eye contact. He couldn't tear his eyes away. Not even as Creel began to speak in her heartbroken voice. And oh, even Gwen could feel the Dreoct in it, heavy and rolling and full of magic. Even he felt pity for her. So I have charged my darling, frightening son with being unseely, and I know many of you here are confused and do not do not believe me. Her breath hitched. She shook her head as though she couldn't bear to go on. Gwen looked away from Ondine over to his mother. He towered above her, conspicuous and wanting this part to be over. Yet a part of him wanted to interject somehow, save himself. That he wanted to do that at all was a wash of dry amusement through him. He wanted to end everything, and here he was, hoping to at least explain himself. It is only that we tried to do the right thing by him, and we have done some terrible things to ensure it. Terrible things. But you don't understand. His power frightened us. Some of you may remember we lived somewhere else, before the new Anne Fenway estate. What none of you know is that when he was young. No. He destroyed it with his light. We loved him, but we were frightened. Creole, Albion interjected, his voice as cold as a deep sea trench. You said you had proof. We need not the story. We need the proof. None of the Fae who can sense alignments senses that he is anything other than Seely. You had best back up the story, and quickly. Lee turned to the old law. Creel turned to him, her eyes pleading with Albion to understand. It was all a glamour, and Gwen kept his face impassive as he watched her play out this role, knowing that he was only supposed to stand there and wait. He felt sickened, his throat worked on a swallow. These things were supposed to be private. She was breaking all the rules. His father would have been mortified. Some of the fae gasped at the mention of old lore. Gwen has a crystal Aethwick soldered to his rib on the right-hand side. She drew a small, sharp knife from her belt. Gwen saw that it was Ingrid and hid a cringe. Years of battle, of his ribs being smashed in over and over, hadn't destroyed that crystal. But Ingrid would remove it. His heart was beating too fast, was a thick mass in his throat, and he swallowed, the sound audible since his mouth and throat were so dry. Albion heard it, turned to him, and Gwen hoped his expression was one of ambivalence. An Aethwick, Albion said dubiously. Even I know. Lead would have moved to the upper and underworlds to give Gwen all the opportunities possible to live a normal life, an adjusted life, Creel said. She didn't even flash her eyes to Gwen in triumph at her lies, though Gwen knew she must have been aching to. There is a scar, Creel said, her voice hushed. A scar above the crystal. Cut there. I will show you. The dread coalesced into something far stronger, and Gwen found himself leaning away from the blade as Albion turned back to him, holding it up. His eyes were stern, his thin brows sharp with intent, but there was something in his face that said he wanted Gwen to stop this madness. But Gwen would only run, and he had nowhere to go, and, he knew, no one to go to. Not here, Gwen mouthed to him, humiliated, flushed red. 
That Creel did see, and while Albion had his gaze on Gwen, some of her cruelty flashed. In that moment, with her golden curly hair and deep blue eyes, she looked like Ethnician when he'd finally managed to draw a choked sound from him during their bouts of torture. Gwen thought it was almost a waste that she was Seely, for it seemed a shame she could only enjoy cruelty and not transmute it into food. Put him on his knees and remove his shirt, Albion commanded to the soldiers. Gwen was shoved to the ground. He didn't resist. He knew he should. He knew he should be indignant and coming up with a story, a bluff, perhaps saying that Creel had gone mad with Ethnician's and Leeds' deaths. But August had been right every time he had said it. Gwen felt so tired. He wanted to give up. His shirt had to be cut away from him, because he wouldn't cooperate with that. They nicked his chest in the process. He wondered what August was doing. It was late afternoon. Perhaps he'd be digesting his food. He needed to hunt more than Gwen had ever let him, and that would have taken some time. Perhaps he was learning how to deal with Gulvy, who hadn't once tried to contact Gwen, even though she must have known Gwen had a hand in August's escape. He realized he'd likely lost a friend in Gulvy, and his eyes flickered up to find Ondine's again. She stood on the sidelines, watched quietly. Her face was grave, not condemning. Not yet. There, Creel said, and Gwen felt the point of a nail on his skin. He even unwittingly moved his arm so it was easier to see. It was easiest to access from the back, but in truth, the scar was more on his side. Don't do this. But there was no point in saying it aloud, was there? The words that had fallen from his mouth when he'd pleaded, begged with Lead to let him go, to kill him, to do anything except what he was asking Gwen to do all those years ago. Papa, please don't do this! None of it had worked. This was not a world of mercy. It had no quarter for him. He'd killed an innocent boy. An innocent, good-hearted boy. In a way, Gwen had been waiting for this. He grit his teeth, lowered his eyes to the ground. Waited. This is possibly where August may think you're misusing that new center of yours. Gwen almost laughed, but fingers closed over his upper arms. He was held hard. A knife split his skin directly over the scar. He swallowed at the pain, but it was all very familiar. Ethnician and his knives. Torturers and their knives. He would not allow himself to go blank. He needed his wits about him. He could withstand this. Except that it was Ingrid, and when they peeled his skin apart and gasped at the Aethwick crystal itself, he realized that there was only one way to remove it from his ribs. When he felt the touch of the bone-damaging blade on the bone itself— he flinched hard, and his eyes flew open. He had been through this before, or something so like it that this was too familiar, terrifying. Writhing on a table, an agony inside of him, and his father telling him he would be killed if he let his light go, and panic wound his way through him. He began shaking. He struggled once, briefly. Creel's soft hand on the side of his face turned everything to a white, grinding halt. That she would do that now. All insincerity even now maintaining the facade of being a loving mother. He looked up at her, feeling, of all the things he should not feel, betrayed. Mama, he said, so softly the words were only a breath. She snatched her hand away, a look of revulsion crawling over her face, and he opened his mouth again to finish his sentence. I kept all of your secrets. I did it for the both of you. Instead, his lips and teeth slammed together, and his throat opened on sounds that never spilled forth. 
His whole body throbbed. The knife sliced through his rib, taking the tip of it and the eighth wick with it. It was removed, tossed to the floor. Mayhem. Shouting and cries of, Unsealy! And, He is! She's not lying! And, Monster! An insult upon insult, and the Seely Fay, well, they had never taken well to being betrayed or lied to, especially by an unseely Fay. He was hauled upright, blood streaming, rib a bright, throbbing wound, and muscles and tendons in the bone itself damaged. It would never be the same. The bone might grow back, perhaps, he didn't know. He was king status, and it might resist the power of Ingrid. But it wasn't growing back now. He looked to Ondine. She had an olive-skinned hand over her mouth, but she was already lowering it. She didn't look outraged like the others. She didn't even look hurt. He couldn't read the expression on her face. It was something of a haven, given that he could feel the hostile energy radiating from all the others. Many cried for his slaughter. Ondine walked forward slowly and stepped up onto the dais. Gwen realized that Albion was beckoning her. The entirety of his inner court were up with him now. Gwen wished they could know how much he cared for them, in his own broken way. Albion called for silence, and it came with the hungry, bated breath of a crowd that was enthusiastic for vengeance. Gwen Apneed has been revealed as unseely and a traitor, Albion called, his voice boomed with the authority of someone who knew how to send language across an ocean to his merfolk and the other Seafay. By the authority of the Seely Kingdom, which is hallowed and stands even in the face of this atrocity, I do put this to a vote. If you no longer want him as your king, raise your hand or paw in agreement. Gwen watched, numb, sore, as arms shot up across the crowd. Here it is now. It's coming. Perhaps they will make it fast. He thought, briefly, of all he had done for the Seely Court, but the fact was he had always been a stranger, and he had never belonged with them. None of these people he could count as close friend or even confidant. He'd had Golvi, whom understood a part of him he'd never understood. She was all chaos and caustic, and yet they'd had moments of understanding one another. There had been August. It had been good, for what it was, for what he'd stolen from him. He hadn't known, in the moment he walked down those steps toward August's cell, he hadn't known he was capable of feeling like that about someone. All his life, he'd simply assumed a deep backbone of brokenness, perhaps since Moffat, perhaps before. It surprised him, what he'd discovered about himself with August. Sometimes he even thought he glimpsed aspects or facets of himself that weren't just crude and clumsy and crass. Gwen couldn't decide whether he wanted August to mourn him or not. He wanted to be noble. He wanted August to simply move on. But a soft, bruised part of his mind wanted someone to care, to grieve. Just one person. I must also inform you all, Albion was saying, that Gwen Apneed has released the water horse, August Akushka, back into the custody of the unseely court. Chaos now, utter outrage, and the soldiers were having to hold back several fey who tried to charge up the dais themselves. Magic shot across the room, and something lacerated his arm, ricocheted and hit one of the soldiers holding him too. At that, the magic stopped, but the outrage continued. After all, here were many fey that he'd heard beg for August's death. His heart hurt for them. He couldn't meet their eyes anymore. 
he was sickening himself. All those times Creel had called him creature, monster, beast, thing. This will be investigated. The extent of the collusion, and how many years back it goes, will be explored. At that, Gwen smirked. Oh, so that was what Albion thought? That Gwen had planned this all along? Well, at least they were giving him some credit. Even if it was unwarranted. A hand at his throat, cruel and cold and smelling of salt. He looked calmly into Albion's eyes. Here it was, then. At least he wouldn't be king anymore. That was something. Gwenap need, Albion said. I, Albion, Seely King of the Atlantic, hereby use the power of your court and inner court to revoke your status as king. I demote you to underfay. He'd expected it, but he could never be prepared for it. He'd always been court or higher. He'd never been demoted. He'd only ever moved up the statuses, had nothing to compare this to. It hurt. He didn't scream because his voice was taken away from him, and his lungs felt as though they were being crushed. Faye in the background were shrieking for his death, his execution, shouting about August and collusion and conspiracies and outrage, and he could hear Creel sobbing in her false heartbreak, but there was nothing he could focus on for long. It was excruciating. A blaze of pain throughout his whole body, scouring his light. It swirled out of him, rendered truly neutral now by the oldest of Faye laws, those of status and emotion and promotion. He couldn't watch it because his eyes were squeezed shut, tears leaking from them. He was vaguely aware that every exhale was a keen of agony. He collapsed. Soldiers came and held him up with cruel fingers that dug in deliberately, but each bruise was hardly noticeable. Life force was draining out of him. He could feel it. Thousands of years of healing capacity, of strength, and he was sinking in on himself, shaking as violently as a seizure, eyes rolling back into his head, and he wished only that it wasn't public. Otherwise, he surrendered to it. He knew he deserved this. He couldn't help but mentally reach for the light that swirled away from him, spiraling thick and white and even beautiful from his body, though he hated it. It was still his. He clutched at it with invisible fingers, refused to let it go. Some of it came back. Some of it stayed. Perhaps it was just the light that would have stayed anyway if he was under Faye. August said he was classless. It didn't matter. He wouldn't live long enough to find out. His heart was beating so hard his eyes hurt, but then abruptly it slowed, and he was struggling to breathe for very different reasons. Not just pain now. It was killing him. Most Fay of very high statuses didn't survive a drop down to under Fay. He didn't expect to, not having known under Fay status before. Not like August. Maybe right now he's sleeping. He needed rest. Gwen whimpered once, wished that things could have been different. But they weren't, and he was a monster, and everything that was supposed to happen was happening. He screamed once at the end, a rush of unexpected agony gutting the inside of him and racing along his spine, turning everything to fire. He would have released his light then, but for some reason it wouldn't obey, and instead it shredded him out and hurt him, blistered his skin. Everything went black. A sense of time creeping on. Darkness. Damp. The smell of earth. Footsteps. A hoarse wheeze on every inhale and exhale. He wanted to tell whomever had the breathing problem to be quiet. Darkness again. He woke up sluggish, weak, 
His body ached as it never had before. He felt fragile. He still had his musculature, because he'd built that himself through training, but he was... very fragile. Rolling over made him cry out thinly. His rib hadn't healed. He felt bruised everywhere. It was dark on his eyelids. There was a faint source of light. He opened his eyes slowly, wear light flickering in a ball somewhere nearby. He looked around. Walls of dirt and tree roots. A long, thick root jetting out of the wall that was a bench to sit on. And on the floor, a length of rope, old and familiar. He pushed himself upright and gasped through it, muscles shaking, but the pain of his rib was awful. He blacked out again. He awoke soon after that, though he didn't know it was soon. He pushed himself only to his hands and knees this time, crawled to the tree root bench, dragged himself onto it. He sat with his back to the wall, feeling the abrasive throb of Seely around him. It had always hurt. He'd never adjusted to it, for all he'd convinced himself he had. Now that he was under Fay, he couldn't push its toxicity away as easily. It felt like a headache that wouldn't release him. He looked through the opening of a cell, down a long, underground corridor. His eyes widened. He looked at the rope down by his feet, realized he'd left that rope behind himself many months ago, realized which cell they'd put him in, the cell where he'd committed so many atrocities against someone he loved. He huffed out a sound of bitter amusement. He started to laugh. He didn't stop until unconsciousness found him again.